I'm Rebecca Garrett-Pace. I'm Mitchell Boone, and you're listening to The Day After Sunday. A brief but nerdy conversation about yesterday's worship at White Rock United Methodist Church. We talk about what caught our attention, stories we forgot to tell, and ways that we saw the Holy Spirit moving among us. Good morning, friends. Good morning. And I'm Phil Dickey. And I'm Phil Dickey. (laughs) You ever going to re-record that thing? Nope. I like to just bring in my own intro. (laughs) Hi y'all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, how we doing? We did it. We had another Sunday yesterday. Yeah, yeah. This was the last Sunday. If y'all didn't get a chance to join us for worship, we invite you to do so. Um, check out our Facebook or YouTube videos and catch up with what we were doing. So we finished up our Compassion Camp series, built on Compassion Camp for VBS. Um, yeah, and so we focused on senior adults yesterday. We we brought. Reverend Keith Payne Boone's voice in here. The Reverend Doctor. The Reverend Doctor. Yes. I can't remember if I said this before that I really like that we took the idea of, you know, VBS always so often just associated with children and then took it and just applied it to every different aspect. I thought that was a really a really good thing because one, it was such a good theme on the compassion camp. But two, you know, even like yesterday was such a good reminder to me that like this is just there's such richness in this idea and these lessons for all ages. Right. You know, I love that uh, Walter Brueggemann does, uh, I think it's Walter Brueggemann who did it, the uh, uh, VBS for adults sometimes yeah. too. And um, it's just a good reminder too that we all we all need a little vacation Bible school from time to time. And, and I love that we just kind of had this, it, g- it gave me this like a uh, summer campy kind of feel, you know, for the, totally. the month of July, which I liked. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we try, we've tried in years past and at, at every church I've been at actually has tried to do this, um, of like making just the Sunday after vacation Bible school, like focused on that. They sing all the songs. They try right. to get all the kids who aren't members to come and be guests. But this felt a lot more integrated because we didn't have to do it all in one Sunday. We could yeah. like, we sang almost every song, but it was incorporated in a really natural way into the hymnody. It wasn't just a performance of nervous right. kids, you know, right. who've never been in the church building before, you know? Totally. And I mean, it helps that the music was really good and easy to do. And it didn't yeah. feel like it was, was such a stop down, you know, some of those VBS songs can just feel like, uh, just odd, an Can't odd thing. Right. I, I'm, th- I'm reminded that, uh, like Trip Fuller and uh, Walter Brueggemann, like, uh, spend a lot of time doing these kind of campy things together, like a whole week of like theology beer camp or something like that. And it's a, it's a good reminder that like, yeah, you know, once a year, it's not bad for adults to carve out some time to like actually get serious about what they're studying and I don't know, provides possibility mm-hmm. for the future too. Yeah. And just this word of intentionality keeps coming to me. So I was I was listening to a conversation, like a recorded conversation yesterday between two people and they were they were kind of sharing their faith journeys and they said, Yeah, I just, you know, I never got um real good theology growing up. And I, I had to ask two questions and they're both equal. Did they really this person really never get it? And if so, like how is the church failing them in that sense? Or were they offered and they weren't in a place where they were paying attention? And yeah. so each of those has, you know, the 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 failings and the imperfections of us as humans, whether right. it's humans running the church or humans attending the church, but this seemed to offer a very intentional time for adults to ground down in some of those really simple compassion means loving your neighbor. 
And that is so simple yet so hard to do. Right. And to like then tie it into our discipleship plan and saying like, yeah. look, like this is like an ongoing thing that we, we have to take seriously. It's not just a worship series for three weeks. And I think that's the hope with all worship series, right? That they provide uh, a springboard and aren't, and, um, you know, uh, a means to an end in of themselves. Like we want uh, to nurture and continue folks to carry those themes uh <laughs> past the uh the end of the worship series and that's and that's a challenge right because we are we are so time focused and calendar focused as as people like it's it's easy to turn the page and um yeah the integration piece is just really key and that's why you know what we do i think on on sunday morning has great impact in our in our discipleship long term right well that's why i think this podcast is a really good thing too Mm -hmm. because I mean, how how better is your retention whenever, you know, even myself who is participating in worship or helping worship like happen, like I I finish on Sunday morning and then my mind is like, oh. like totally. sometimes I just forget yeah. what happens, you know. So even just sitting here and having a conversation with the two of you about the worship service right. again is a, it it sinks it in way better to where I have a better opportunity and chance to actually remember what happened and took place and have it have more of a transformational mm-hmm. aspect in my life as opposed to just, we made it through that. Now I move on to the next thing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So this, keeps it fresh. So everybody should listen to the podcast. That's really what I was doing. Right there. <laughs> Ironically said on the podcast, on which you only hear if you were already listening. <laughs> right. to it. Totally. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, yesterday you, Phil, you and Keith talked through Ruth one or really, mm-hmm roughly the whole book of Ruth, but mostly Ruth one, like the, I'll call it the calling of the two daughters-in-law. And one of the things that struck me most, and I so appreciate it about both of you, is you drew out how compassion looks and feels different for each of those characters. You know, it was so refreshing not to just see Orpah kind of dismissed as like the bad daughter-in-law because Mm -hmm. she left. Like, no, she was actually trying to honor her mother-in-law by doing what she was told, which in that culture was a very big honor and sign of respect. Yeah, and Keith really helped me even recognize that. I I was looking at it from a stance of just her own self-awareness of like, this may have been the best thing for her. And then for Keith to say, well, and, and she was being obedient, you know, like joyful obedience, like he talked about, is just a, that's a really good word too. And, and I had, I hadn't even caught that, you know? So that's what, yeah, I love so much this opportunity of, of having conversations about scripture like this. Um, I don't know if I've ever said this on, on this podcast, whenever I was in Israel, we, we had this practice called Havruta, which in Aramaic means friend. And the mm-hmm. whole idea behind it is that you just read scripture with a friend and that your friend is always going to find things in scripture that you don't see and vice versa. Oh, and, wow. and it just really enriches the reading of scripture together. Um, and you have this communal feeling of the scripture. And that's that's what I feel like we had the chance to do, both mm-hmm. Mitchell with you the week before and then with, with Keith yesterday too. Yeah. It was just a, it's just a really good feeling. It makes me really engage and appreciate scripture way more mm-hmm. whenever I get to do it that way. Totally. Say that Say that word again. Havruta. H a v r u t a. There's actually a really That's good beautiful. book that you can buy about it if you want to do an in-depth study on the the practice of it. Link it in the show notes. That's I will lovely. get the link of that. Yes. Well, and what that reminds me too is taking that kind of one step farther is the midrash, right? The mm-hmm. the um, tradition. If you don't know what this is, it's the tradition of holy argument and holy discussion and. Um, you know, intentional imagination around scripture that rabbis and other like Jewish leaders 
engage in regularly to say like how can we how can we push and pull each other as we think right. about this text so yeah which is great. the opposite of uh infallibility in scripture right because mm-hmm. often we uh we think you know that we not us but there's a there's a very prominent view of scripture that it cannot be anything more than what it says right and that like once you find out what the meaning is it is set in stone or once you're taught the meaning that is like not open for interpretation and i think, I think like, we're all susceptible to that i totally. think even we ourselves are but 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 the idea that 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 scripture is infallible and mm. it is a aids in this uh setting um setting everything in stone and i think the when we when we look at you know midrash and what the rabbinic traditions have done for so long it's a really good example of how we should approach scripture mm. and we should not shy away from the argument or the debate or the uh, ability to uh, have our minds changed and i think like just culturally cultural christianity in America is is really suffering because we we don't engage with scripture in that way. Um, yeah. So I actually, and this may just be too ridiculous on word plays, but I think the infallibility aspect is, it, I think scripture is infallible in the idea that Midrash proves the infallibility of it. That it's always effective in creating a deeper understanding and, and causing us to wrestle and go deeper. Um, I think we... Or at least in my head, I usually associate inerrancy and infallibility as the same thing often. When in all actuality, like, I think that, I don't think scripture is inerrant, right? Like, that it's never, like, inaccurate or false or wrong. But I, I do think it is infallible in that it is all, it's never failing to, to take us to a deeper place and to, to stretch us and push us in a whole new ability to understand who we are and who, what our relationship is, is to God. It's just That's that cool. it's, it's not factual, right? Like mm. it doesn't always have to be factual, but I don't think infallible means it has to be factual. Yeah, that's really, this, that's, that's a good word. That's a word I like the, the difference, and I draw this out a lot, you know, in my writings and in my conversations is the difference between truth and fact. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. No, that's a really great word, Phil. I love that. Um, so this is, this is a question that came to me when you all were drawing out the scripture and you were focusing on like Ruth clung to her. I know they were written in different languages, but I was curious if the word was comparable or if not. I'm, I don't know. I didn't study Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. I didn't study any of those ancient languages. Um, I was busy studying music theory. But if the word like Ruth clung to Naomi was the same as when Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, do not cling to me. It's mm. translated into English the same way, but I wasn't sure if it would be comparable words in the Aramaic and the Hebrew. I don't know. I, it that was really fascinating to me just this idea of like i will not leave you i will be with you mm. well in, in hebrew apparently the word comes up in job a few times where my bone clings to my skin hmm. tongue stuck to the palate our bodies cleaves to the earth that's in the psalms mm. cleave okay do not cl- yeah okay my soul clings to you your right hand also in the psalms my bone clings mm-hmm. to my flesh and then my soul cleaves to the dust. Hmm. So that's that's the Hebrew. I don't know what the as far as the the Septuagint translation would be, and if that's the same word in the, the Greek. That's a good question. Yeah. Anyway, it's just something that because I've been reading Richard Rohr's meditations, and last week was all on Mary Magdalene, hmm. and so I was, uh, which I love her as a character. I think 
like side note we should do a worship series on mary magdalene um totally but yeah so that was just kind of a random thought i had as y'all were as y'all were co-preaching i was like and our cling, book club book could be dan me. brown we could read a dan Br- whoa no. <laughs> That was a joke. Okay. Old Sign Dan me Brown. up to not lead that book club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. No, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought the Ruth passage was a great text. When I, when I first sat down, this is what I also love. When I first sat down with it, I was like, oh my God, how in the world do we make this connection for, you know, senior mm-hmm. adult ministry? And what does this look like? Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's such an encouraging thing to me that whenever you sit down with the scriptures to, to try to read it through a specific lens, how like, yeah, it opens up a whole new, rather than just sitting down to read for the sake of reading, like reading with this idea of what, what does this have to teach me about compassion? What does this have mm-hmm. to teach me about intergenerational relationships and compassion on those levels? Like it just, it, it's just, like you said, intention earlier, like it's just like reading with intention. Um, yeah. and, and it did, it just was a really great practice for me. Um, and you know, I, Mitchell, you adore Keith because he's your dad. I adore Keith too. He just he has so much wisdom to bring, and he's just such a a gracious and kind spirit. Sure. And you just feel it when you're around him. That's what I was talking to my in laws right. afterwards when I got home, and they were like, "Man, he just has such a um, a calming presence," mm-hmm. which is su- such a props to him because he told me yesterday that was the first time he'd ever done a live worship like that, and so yeah. for that to, to be his first time live yeah. on worship, which can feel really intimidating. But then still have such a calming presence. Um, yeah, he. Um, yeah, I mean, I won't speak for him, but uh, he did. You know, <laughs> he's mention, not here. So. Yeah, he did mention that. You know, he had the butterflies that he normally does when he's preaching on Sunday morning, which mm-hmm. I think all preachers have. It's just, um, I think it's the weight of the work, and then also just the weight of. Uh, you know, feeling like you, you've got to say something that's, uh, you know, putting too much pressure on yourself and not allowing the spirit to work. Mm. Um, but that's always going to be the case, right? Like I, you know, I, so there's this balancing act, but yeah, no, I think, you know, that's what I'm most excited about for Keith is that he's going to have the ability to connect with it, with our seniors in a way that I, um, that I think is going to be really powerful. And, and the goal is to, to create space for their, voices to be amplified and find the connection pieces back into adult ministries and, and children and youth ministries. Right. And, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. He's also just a, yeah, he's really kind, gracious man. He's also a really good preacher and um, a really good at pastoral care. I mean, he's been in ministry for, you know, 30 plus years. So that's what you get. You get a really refined, uh, presence and um, and it's the diversity on staffs important. You know, we have a very young staff, um, and so I think his presence on staff is going to be a, a big benefit to mm-hmm. to our work. Absolutely, in a lot of ways, yeah. I just switching gears a little bit. I loved Phil what you were saying too, of like this bond between communities, kind of kind of for me, you and Keith succeeded in um, redeeming the annoyance that I've had with people using the Ruth text in weddings. Because mm-hmm. um, I always come with that, like, that's not between spouses. <laughs> right. Um, well, but that was really... It's always so funny to me when it's, this is so terrible, but when it's like really conservative people and they chose that text and I'm like, you know, this is between two women, right? Like, right. <laughs> well, I yeah, because like... Yeah. I mean, just the, that, that was really, truly, that was really uh, insightful for me because, 
what you both drew out of like the the bond of marriage number one is not just between two people it's between two communities but also this um not focusing on um like focusing on unconditional love Mm -hmm. and personal story you know like what, what that made me think of was the the privileged place that i am in to be part of a very blended family um and just how true that is that like the the covenant of of marriage and of like family life not just marriage but all kinds of family life is between multiple communities so like my stepkids mom and her husband invite jeff and me over for you know stuff all the time well not during pandemic times but during normal times um and people just think that's so strange like what you go over to your husband's ex-wife's house i'm like well yeah like we're we we believe in each other we like want to to nourish those friendships Mm -hmm. like my stepdaughter went vegetarian recently, and so Stacy and I have been comparing vegetarian recipes so that, yeah. you know, my right. stepdaughter can have new things to eat. So it's just that commitment of communities more than two individuals really spoke to me. That's a really good story. And and what a, like, a hopeful message out of that too, right? That like, yeah. Because not only does that help you flourish as a parent, and yep. <clears throat> the other side flourish as a parent as well, but like, who really benefits the most out of that is probably the kids, right? You yeah. know, like, and that's just yeah. a really beautiful, and I know that doesn't get to work for every scenario. Um, sure. But like, that's a really beautiful, redemptive piece there of something, right? So mm-hmm. that's awesome. And even, you know, even when it's not, um, even when it's not specifically divorce, I'm just thinking Jeff's extended family, you know, I yeah. his cousins are wonderful and like my family loves him. And, you know, that just really spoke to me as this, two strangers, they probably did not know each other, right? The culture did not say like Ruth and her, husband dated a long time right they probably did not know each other very well and suddenly ruth and naomi are both widow or you know widows and love each other so unconditionally Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and he you know keith mentioned that too that that they're they're bonded by this this kind of like communal communal covenant aspect but then they're also really bonded by grief Mm -hmm. totally and that was kind of a passing comment that he made but um, that really struck me too in the moment that yeah like that mm-hmm. that's a really bonding experience to go through together and it you know it kind of got me thinking too that like here we all are experiencing our own griefs in the midst of a global pandemic and like are we sure. using are we using that as a bonding opportunity or is it just something that's like forcing us apart from each other mm. uh, yeah question. and it's yeah i think it's a really good point uh, the challenge i think with 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 grief as a bonding um, agent is that, you know, especially in this pandemic, our grief is all over the place. Like we're Mm -hmm. all of us are grieving very different things. And the universalization of like our experience, I think is heightened right now because we're like, yeah, it's just so hard being a parent with, you know, or it's so hard being alone and not being able to see family. We lose the nuance of our grief too. I'm just thinking like, I'm thinking about someone in our congregation who, who lost someone um, and sh- and she found a specific group for her grief. And it was um, uh, a group of, of women who were widows at a very young age. Mm-hmm. And like the more we can make the connections to the very specific griefs we're feeling, yeah. like the experiences, the deeper our connection is, I think. You yeah. know what I mean? So like... Mm-hmm. It's about naming it in a way that allows us then to like put that grief in uh, in its proper container or place, um, because I think we you know the the grief process 
we can't universalize it because if we do so, then we totally are missing like the, the depth and the pain that exists in grief. And, but it is such a bonding thing, right? I mean, this is why we see like recovery groups are so, uh, once they get established, they can become so tight in their community because they have this shared understanding of addiction and, and specifically what it means to be addicted to, to this substance. Right. And, 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 and the shared story I think is, um, is ultimately what we're after with the gospel too, right? So yeah. I just, it's this balancing act of universalization that we're all in need of, of God's grace and then the very nuanced ways in which that that forms. And community is the balancing act of like being part of a broader community and then finding deeper places of connection within community. And mm. I think the church is just really, um, we can do a better job of that uh, always, right? But pushing people deeper into these like micro communities within a larger community, I think is really healthy and obviously came out on Sunday talking about how this, sh well, it was a passing comment. My dad made, I don't think he uh, had really probed it as deeply as we are here. Uh, but this notion of shared grief and then what does grief like grief support groups look like at church, right? Like as a place for healing and, and, you know, Re Rebecca, uh, you've done a really great job with the like blue Christmas service. And while like we, we kind of bat around like, well, I mean, is it, is, is the attendance worth the, uh, the effort, right. Uh, as a good reminder, that, like, yeah, uh, we always have to answer to something on that front. But the truth is like those people who showed up, like, I think they had a shared experience. The challenge is, finding a way to nurture that community beyond that one moment. And, um, and I think the church is struggling to figure out what that looks like in the midst of a pandemic. Sure. Yeah. I, I like that a whole lot. There's this, this, the, the weight of the universality of it, but then the specificity of it too. And, um, it's, you know, just kind of tying back to what we talked about that, that everyone has a role to play and everyone's role is unique in mm -hmm. the way that you bring compassion to the table and, um, and what that looks like in our church and in our community and uh, in your city and in your family. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's just a... Well, and Victoria's Children's Time was such a good reminder of like, we, I, I hear you, I agree. I think we need to, to find places where our specificities can be uh, seen and our whole selves can be seen. And Victoria's Children's Time was a good reminder that we don't have to perfectly experience what somebody's going through to still mm -hmm. listen and empathize. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the dealing with dealing with a mental health issue does not give, uh, you know, any one person license to universalize that and think they know about every mental health issue. Mm -hmm. And yet when someone comes to them and says, Hey, I'm dealing with this thing, it might not be exactly the same, but you can still empathize because you know, this broader struggle. Yeah, totally. Um, so I just loved that, you know, that exercise that Victoria took us through. And my household did it, even though we don't have, you know, young kids. We were like, okay, what did she pick up at the grocery store? Cereal, an apple, broccoli. Like, you know, we were, <laughs> we were totally engaged. Mm -hmm. I love it. Which just reminds us that empathy is a practice. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we can actually totally. practice empathy just over and over again, whether we mm -hmm. feel like it or not, or we're good at it or not. Like we can, yeah. we can at least try. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally it was uh it was a really good uh worship series and we we move yeah. out of this one and into what i hope's another good one 
I'm excited being, about this next series. Being White Rock? Is that what we decided being to call White it? Being White Rock. Yeah. And I think I think I've called it like five of like it's the belong series. It's the becoming, it's the becoming series. Yeah, me too. This is one Being of those things. Rock. This is gonna be the next uh order of the advent words situation for me. Like I can never remember the order of the four advent words. I will not, I guarantee, remember the order of these four like B words over the next three, yeah. four weeks. So uh, yeah. Um no chance. There is so real quick uh, I was, you know, doing some work on this series and there's been in the emerging church, there was a shift between, um, essentially it was, uh, for a long time, the church thought you needed to believe, um, and then you became a better believer and then you finally belonged, uh, and the emergent church shifted that to belong, um, and then believe then become, um, and so, this series is like finding a place to belong, learning what we believe about, about the gospel, then becoming better representatives of the gospel in the world. And then when we do those things, we get back to an understanding of, of belovedness or being beloved and being a part of the beloved community. So I, you know, yeah, it'll be challenging (laughs) to remember the order, but, uh, Week one is about belong. So the most, you know, we start with this idea that we have to belong. We have to find a place to belong. And if we don't have that, then then everything else is going to be really, really challenging, if not impossible. So and that starts to, next week. That's what I had to keep telling myself that narrative in my head. Every time I would think through it, it was like, you belong because you are, you know, like you are to automatically belong. And then you find belief in the midst of that. And then mm-hmm. you work mm-hmm. in the process of becoming and all throughout of it, you're, you're beloved, you know, like yep. I have to keep telling myself that narrative to keep it straight. So we'll keep trying to tell that narrative for the next four weeks. Also, if Rebecca doesn't get the Advent words right, then I don't know if anybody will ever remember to get the Advent <laughs> words right. So <laughs> that makes you. me feel way better about the fact that I can never remember them. Yeah, no, totally. I have to look it up every single year. That's good. I yep. appreciate that, to know that. All right, friends. We'll, uh, we'll see you all next week. All Take right. Care. Bye. You're listening to a podcast recorded at White Rock United Methodist Church in the heart of East Dallas. For more information, you can find us at wrumc.org. And make sure you stay subscribed to this channel to stay up to date with all of our content.